You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So we're going to be in Genesis 39 this evening, and a couple weeks ago I preached out of out of Genesis, and I preached specifically uh, on, the, uh, on the life of Jacob and how Jacob, uh, in the middle of the night, when he was going to meet Esau, the, uh, a man came to him. It was, a, a, it was the Lord, pre-incarnate, and uh, Jesus Christ, um, before his incarnation, came in the middle of the night and wrestled with Jacob in the middle of the night and talked about how uh, by the end of that night, the Lord had touched Jacob's hip and, and take, knocked it out of joint so that he could stand no longer. He didn't even have the strength to stand up. And God took away all of Jacob's resources until Jacob was left wholly dependent on the, on the Lord for his strength to stand. He went from wrestling with God to clinging to God. That was the lesson that he had to learn in a time of isolation. In the middle of the night, it was just Jacob and the Lord. And that in that moment of solitude, he had an important lesson to learn that shaped him the rest of his life. It was that moment that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. It was an important moment for him. And until we realize that we don't have any strength to stand on our own, we won't find it all that necessary to go to God and depend on him for his strength. We need times of solitude to, to learn something like that. We need times where it's just us and just God together and we have lessons to learn in solitude. Your Christian life may be lived out in a community, but it can't only be lived in a community. See, our relationship with God is developed and strengthened in isolation. And that's kind of the, the point that I was making in the last couple of Wednesday nights even is that we have two ways to live out our Christian life. We have, we have solitude or isolation, and we have community or being in public. And many times we choose to live out our lives in community only. We, we bypass the moments of solitude, or we don't see the value in the isolation, and we just want to go to the, the community. We just want to live it out so people where people see it. But, you know, that's not the way, you think about your car, that's not the way that you drive. Uh, yes, you drive on the road with other people, but if you don't stop at a gas station in isolation and fill up your car, your car won't last very long on the road. In very many ways, that, that's a picture of the Christian life. We need the times of isolation, we need the lessons learned in solitude if we're going to be effective in community. I think about all the people in the Bible that, that grew through isolation. I think about Noah building that ark in isolation when everyone was mocking him, and yet he found grace in God's sight because of it. I think about David standing alone facing Goliath when all of the soldiers were behind him afraid, and yet God, through that young man, wrought great victory for Israel. Think of Daniel's faith in the middle of a lion's den all night by himself in isolation, and that testimony impacted a pagan king. I think of the prodigal son all by himself in the pig pen. And all by himself, and that's when the Lord uh, prompted him and he came to himself and God brought him back uh, with repentance. 
I think about Paul in isolation writing letter after letter to, the, to those uh, either individuals or churches that would become part of the canon of Scripture. It happened with Paul all by himself. And you say, what good could come from Paul being in prison? Well, read the New Testament. It was an isolation that brought those things about. It was solitude. I mean, think about Jesus Christ many times. He left the people and he left even his disciples and he went up into a mountain to pray to have fellowship with God the Father. Listen, as tough as isolation is and as tough as it seems right now, we often learn and grow the most through solitude. We need those times alone. It's good for us to tune everything else out so we can truly meet with and commune with God when it's just you and God, you can't run and hide. You have to be confronted with what you are. No one likes to be lonely. I was reading a story just today about a man who has, uh, the, has COVID-19. And, and in the last two months, he's been diagnosed. It's popped up three different times for him. It, he didn't get it once and then it's gone. No, it keeps popping back up. And he was saying how he's on day 50-something Uh, of isolation he's been in quarantine completely by himself and he says yes it's physically hard but mostly it's mentally difficult it's mentally hard to be by yourself no one likes to be lonely and I'm reading how reports of even those that would consider themselves introverts right now they're feeling it every person no matter who they are they need some level of human connection they need the fellowship it's being revealed right now I mean, it's been hard to be without our church family, hasn't it? I mean, it's been difficult not to have the fellowship and not to have the encouragement and not to see the faces. And I'm thankful this last week we we began the uh, giving and prayer time again. And just to stand there and, and see faces of people I haven't seen in a few weeks, I'm telling you, it means a lot. It's helpful. I mean, so many people are going stir crazy from the solitude. Nobody likes it. But listen, with your walk with God, it's essential to your Christian walk. To have times of isolation, times of solitude. You need the times when it's just you and the Lord so that he can confront you with what you really are. Those those lonely times can be a great revealer, honestly. Our problem is we find it easier to skip the isolation and go straight to community. In solitude, the only one watching is God. In community, everybody's watching. It's easy for us to skip this time over here, the examination and the growth that comes from solitude, and to come straight to the community and act like everything's fine. The Pharisees did that. I was reading just today in my Bible, Matthew 15, and, and how God was, Jesus Christ was quoting from the Old Testament, and he said, these people draw nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He was talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were good at skipping uh, being real and going straight to acting in front of a community. And they were just actors. They were doing what they did in public. It's essential, though, that we take full advantage of the moments of solitude so that we're real when we find ourselves with opportunities in community. I want to point out a few characteristics of a young man who spent many years of his life in solitude. Many years. And in those years of solitude, it revealed his true character. And God blessed him with opportunities to be used greatly in community because of his consistency in solitude. The the young man's name is Joseph. And Jacob was the, the subject of our message two weeks ago. His son, Joseph, 
uh, the son of his old age, the Bible calls him. It, he's one of the great godly characters of the Bible. His mistreatment led Joseph to many, many long periods of isolation in his life. But I find it fascinating that he was the same person in a prison cell that he was in the palace. He was the same person down in a pit as he was in Potiphar's house. His times of solitude were closely connected to his actions in community. And we have some important lessons, I believe, to learn from his balanced life. Most of us are familiar with this story, so I'm not going to review all of it, but Joseph grew up in isolation. He was, he was by himself. He, was a, he wasn't an only child, but he might as well have been because he was his father's favorite son, which led to all kinds of grief for him. When we first hear about him, he's a 17-year-old teenager, and he's loved by his father, but hated by his brothers. He grew up in solitude. There was such jealousy in his own family, in his own household, among his brothers. It must have been unbearable. And it didn't help with the fact that, that he would tell these dreams that he would have about his brothers bowing down to him. He would tell them about it. Some things are better left unsaid, younger brothers and younger sisters. That's a good lesson for us. But I want you to notice a, a few things here in Genesis um, chapter 37. Actually, let's go back to 37. And I just want you to notice the kind of isolated life he lived. Verse 4, chapter 37, it says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Verse 5, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Look down at verse 8. It says, and his brethren said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Look down in verse 11. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. So he didn't grow up by himself. He wasn't an only child physically, but he was an only child emotionally. He, he lived an isolated life. It would almost, in my opinion, it would be better to be an only child or to be alone than to be emotionally ostracized by your own brothers. One day Jacob then sends Joseph to, to check on his brothers who have been feeding the, flo the flock there in Dothan, and as his brothers see him coming, they conspire to kill him. His oldest brother Reuben um, has a moment of clarity and sees the error of that decision and recommends that they instead throw Joseph down into a pit to leave him there. So they do that, and as soon as, uh, 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 soon after, I should say, a group of Ishmaelites come by and, and they say, hey, we can actually capitalize on this. And they sell their brother Joseph to this, these Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. The Ishmaelites, they carry on, they go to Egypt, and they sell Joseph to a man named Potiphar. He's a high-ranking captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So that leads us to Genesis 39, if we'll turn back over there, and we see Joseph in solitude. Joseph in isolation. And whereas he grew up in isolation emotionally from his brothers, now he's all by himself in a, co a country he probably doesn't speak the language. And he's by himself. His, his father's nowhere around. All of his godly influences are, are gone and yet we see in solitude that what you are in isolation is the real you. What you are in isolation, folks, it's the real you. That's what we see in Joseph's life. Look at 39.2. It says, And the Lord was with Joseph, 
And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So you see this young man, Joseph, 17 years old, in a, in a far country, in a new environment, and that he, the Lord's presence is so real in his life that his master could see that God was with him. Listen, the most important thing about Joseph was his relationship with the Lord. And it didn't matter if he was in a field with his brothers telling them a dream or in the bottom of a pit or we find out later in prison or in the palace. Joseph's walk with God was the most important thing about him. And it stayed with him his entire life. This young man of 17, he had such a real walk with God that the toughest circumstance couldn't even prevent him from having the Lord's presence. I mean, in a foreign country, in a new place, not, not even having anybody around that knows your God, and yet the Lord's presence was with him. And it wasn't just him saying, oh yeah, I walk with God, I, I read my Bible, I pray every day. It wasn't, God, it wasn't Joseph's own, own uh, admitting to a walk with God, it was his master seeing that the Lord was with him. Well, I, there are so many lessons to learn, I'm going to try to not go off on rabbit trails about it, but I want to walk with God so real that when people are around me, they see it in me. I don't have to convince anybody of it. Here's a young man, 17, all by himself, in isolation, and yet the Lord's presence is with him. And folks, what I want to start by saying is that character is revealed when you're by yourself. What you are in isolation is the real you. Joseph wasn't putting it on. He wasn't pretending to walk with God in front of his brothers and his dad. Uh, he, it, we find out when he gets to Potiphar's house, it's real. The Lord's with him. Ask yourself this question, who am I? Well, you'll get the most accurate answer to that question when you're by yourself. When you're all alone, when there's nobody else watching, and you're by yourself, and nobody's keeping you accountable, and nobody's telling you what to do or what not to do, you ask yourself the question. It's like taking a mirror and looking in a mirror, and you ask yourself this question, uh, my, the only mirror, I asked my wife to bring me a mirror and she brought me a, a purple mirror. I'm just going to use it either way. But you know, you look in the mirror and you say, who am I? And a lot of times what people do is they come over here to community. They say, okay, who am I in public? That's the real me. But the real you is not who you pretend to be in front of everybody else. The real you is when you're over here in solitude and you're all by yourself when you look in the mirror in isolation, that's when you see who you really are. Your true character is revealed when you're all alone. And folks, these past two months it have been tough, sure, but your walk with God is not dependent on your circumstances. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, we need church, and I've said it myself, we need church, we need each other, no one believes that. More than your pastor, we do. But if your spiritual life has fallen apart the last two months, that has revealed something about you, not the church. It's been a revealer of who you are. Your walk with God should be what sustains you. And as much as a church is there to help and grow and encourage and exhort you, if you focus only on what you are in a community and you ignore the part of you meant to develop in isolation, then you will become a hollow Christian. And I just wonder if God may have sent this along at this point in our lives uh, not to judge us or uh, not because of some pestilence or not because it's a sign of things to come, 
but because maybe he saw in our hearts this growing complacency to what we should be in isolation. And maybe we became community-minded Christians or public-minded Christians and we were doing everything that we were doing for God in front of other people and maybe he had to strip away everything that we were and take us back to solitude and isolation and let us take a good look in the mirror of who we truly are. Think about all these traits that young Joseph showed. All these traits that he displayed. This is who he really was. Look at verse 3 again. His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord would made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Here's Joseph, a 17-year-old, a Jewish boy from another country going into Potiphar's house in Egypt and it says he was prosperous. Everything he did was prosperous. That means that he was successful. It was profitable. It was like Joseph had the Midas touch. You ever met somebody in business like that? It's like they could turn a $5 bill into 100 just like that. I don't know. I don't understand how people can do that, those kinds of things. I'm, I'm not wired that way. But here's Joseph, and, and it's, he's, he's prosperous, but not just because he's talented. He's prosperous because God blesses him for his commitment, and God blesses his, him for his faithfulness to the Lord. It says the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Here's Joseph, a 17-year-old. He has no motive or no reason to really do anything well, and yet he's not lazy. He's not settling for second best. He's not sitting back or just barely getting by. No, he was doing all that was required of him and more. That was the real Joseph. See, what you are in solitude is, is what you really are. If this season of isolation has revealed a spirit of complacency in you, if this, if this season of isolation has revealed maybe this idea that you're just going to barely get by or barely do the minimum, or maybe it's revealed a spirit of slothfulness, it has been a revealer for you. And maybe that tendency is what God has been wanting to show you that you need to work on. When there's less accountability and there's less of, a, of an urgency to get things done, if you find yourself kind of putting things off and waiting to the last minute, maybe God could use this season of isolation to show you that it's time to step up. I mean, it's, maybe it's time for some of us to get up and work harder and not be content with second best. Some of these kids in, in school, maybe that are homeschooled and, and they've just kind of barely been getting by. Well, maybe some of this work at home and studying at home has been a revealer for parents that we need to help our kids to not strive just to get by, but to aim high, to do the very best we can, to have this innate, uh, inward drive to not just get by, but to do our best. Joseph was that kind of a young man. And honestly, he's 17 years old here. But I want to be that kind of man. I want to be prosperous. I want to be successful. I want to be profitable. I don't want to just barely get by. I want to do the very best that I can for God. When we do, God blesses us. Look at the other kind of young man that he was. We see what he really is. Verse 4, it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. Joseph was a servant. It says he served Potiphar. Listen, even in times of difficulty, Joseph was about other people. We find that later when he's in prison. The next chapter, next couple chapters, we find in prison, there's a butler and a baker. And he's not concerned about himself. He notices that, they, that their, their spirit is different. Their countenance is different. They were down. 
I mean, yeah, they're down, they're in prison. What, what else would you expect? But Joseph was so aware of other people's needs that even in prison, he's looking to be a help and a blessing to somebody else. Sometimes trials make us self-focused. And I've noticed that about sometimes when people really go through a trial or they really have great difficulties, they become very self-focused. And I don't blame them. There's a lot to think about. But here's a man, I mean, who was sold by his brothers into slavery. And he's thinking about serving other people, even in his darkest moments. Isolation reveals how others-minded we are. So how have you been in this time of isolation? How have you done it being a blessing to other people during these weeks? This solitude, has it revealed that you think about other people or has it revealed that you're pretty self-focused? Listen, what you are in isolation is the real you. If isolation has revealed a self-focused frame of mind, it's time to ask God to transform that part of us. Philippians 2.4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That should be a, a mindset that we always have. And maybe it's time to ask God to change that part of us. Maybe isolation is revealing that we've become self-focused. We see here in verses 4 and 5, uh, Potiphar saw Joseph's prosperity and he put him over everything in his house. The Potiphar didn't even know what was going on. That, this slave, this slave that wasn't even Egyptian, was over Potiphar's house and his business and all of his dealings. Potiphar trusted Joseph so much, he didn't know what was happening on a daily basis. He trusted Joseph absolutely. And we find in verse 6 that, look, it says, and left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. I mean, um, in the Hebrew, that means Joseph was a hunk. I don't know if that's accurate. Hebrew, thank my wife laughed, thank you. Uh, Joseph was the kind of man that when you looked at him, you, were, you felt drawn to him, you were attracted. Not just physically, but everything about him. You, he was a magnet, goodly and well-favored. And you know, I don't think that, I'm sure, I'm sure he was strong and he was probably an attractive young man, but he had a countenance that drew people in. He had a spirit that people wanted to be around. His persona was something that people wanted to be around. And I believe God made him desirable to others because of Joseph's commitment to the Lord. What I'm saying is if you want to have more of an impact in community, then take a step in solitude toward the Lord. You want to be more effective in your ministry, then, then spend more time in solitude and isolation dealing with the things that God wants to teach you. And he will give you blessings in community. But be careful, because as soon as you get more opportunities in community, temptation might come your way, because it happened for Joseph. Joseph found himself in a worse mess than just isolation, than just being a slave. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Here's Joseph, this goodly, well-favored young man. And Potiphar's wife is attracted to him and drawn to him and tries to tempt him into an immoral relationship. Listen, it's often in isolation that we face our greatest temptations. When nobody is watching, 
We think we can do it without affecting anyone else. When, when the lights are all out and, man, it's just you and your phone. When, the, when it's dark and nobody's watching and nobody can keep you accountable in that moment, those are the times that temptation often creeps in. But I want you to notice Joseph, this young man, a 17-year-old, who shouldn't have this kind of integrity, just, just think about the integrity and his consistency in it. I mean, here's a young man away from home. He'd been sold by his brothers. He could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have said, you know what, forget this. I'll do whatever I want to do. But his consistency as a young, unaccountable teenager is, is extremely incredible. He did not have external accountability here, but he had a strong internal voice. Young people, it's possible for you to rise above the expectation of your generation and live according to what's right and not what, is it, what the peer pressure says for you to do. You don't have to give in. You don't have to be that way. Here's a young man proving it. And here's why. His internal voice, he said this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph's desire to please God was greater than everything else. His desire to please God was greater even than his physical desires. Joseph lived every moment, folks, like God was watching. And I'm not going to take time to go over there, but you should go read Psalm 139, Psalm 139, as a reminder of, of just how involved and interested and watching God is. We could go to the highest heaven, we can go to the lowest depths, everywhere we go, God is there and he's watching. He sees everything we do, and it's a convicting and yet reassuring thought at the same time. That everywhere I go, God knows. Every thought I think, God knows it. Every word I say, God hears it. Every motive I have, God knows about it. Everything about me, God knows it. Let that affect you every moment. Joseph lived. Joseph lived like God was watching every moment because he was. For many people, their besetting sins are easily hidden in community, but in isolation, it is revealed what you truly are. Joseph's desire to please God was greater than his physical desires. Joseph's desire to please God was greater than his desire to please other people. I mean, he could have been very tempted. Here's a woman with influence, and she's in a high position, and she's the master's wife. I mean, Joseph could have said, I mean, if I, you know, I could please I could please her. I could make her happy. I, could, I, I don't want to say no to somebody in that kind of position. Doing what you do to be seen of men or keep someone happy is a tough way to live, folks. If you're a people pleaser and, and you do what you do to please everybody else, I'm telling you, you will drive yourself crazy. Every person has a different opinion about what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable. Not only that, but one person's opinion could be one thing one day and they wake up on the other side of the bed the next day and their opinion changes and now it's different. And now what are you going to do? You, if you've been operating to please them over here and now they're over here, I mean, you could go crazy. Drive yourself crazy trying to live to please other people. I'm learning that as a pastor. You know, I can either uh, try to plead, and I hope you'll understand my heart in this, I can either try to please 200 people or I can try to please one, capital O, one. And what I've come to terms with as a pastor, in the, especially the last few weeks, is pleasing everyone pleases no one. Pleasing one 
is best for everyone. I can live my life trying to please a couple hundred people or I could keep my eyes on the one that's watching and loves me most and has the best advice and the best wisdom and the best counsel and knows the future and I could give myself to him to please him. And if I do that, it all, all the other stuff works out. Here's why, because God never changes. His righteousness is always the same. His expectation levels are always the same. If I please him, that's the, all I can do, but it's also the best I can do. And you should live your life that way too. Do yourself a favor, get yourself some sleep tonight by choosing to please one instead of everyone. Some people are real people pleasers and it's a tough way to live. Joseph's desire to please God was greater also than his, even his job security, his future. He had to know that he, by, by saying no to the master's wife, he was risking his job, likely even risking his life. But in his mind, no, God's righteousness is more important than my position. It's more important than my security. And listen, we could read the rest of this, and, and many people would say, well, Joseph should have just given in because it didn't end well for him. He gets thrown in prison anyway. But, and it doesn't seem to end well, but at least not right away. But if you read the whole story, you find out that God blessed him in incredible ways because when he was all by himself, in isolation, in solitude, Joseph's one priority was pleasing God. And I believe that God made it come back around in incredible ways as he stood there in Genesis 50 in front of his brothers. God used him to preserve a nation, not just the world in that area, but the nation of Israel. Folks, what does this time of isolation reveal to us about who we're trying to please? If we have fallen away spiritually, we've got to ask ourselves the question, why was I doing what I was, why I, what I was doing? Why was I doing it? If everything was good when we had church and, and you were just rolling right along and then the, the rug got pulled out from underneath you and there's no church for a while and everything fell apart, we have to ask ourselves, why was I doing what I was doing? Was I only doing what I was doing to please a community? I mean, if your involvement with community has impacted your spiritual life to that degree, it may be that we were only doing what we were doing because of other people, because of their expectations. Maybe we were trying to keep up appearances. Maybe we were just in a routine. and Maybe we were uh, just going through the motions. I don't know what the reason is. But listen, every person, every member of Eastside, from the youngest child to the oldest church member, we should strive to serve and help and be a blessing to other people. But if other people are the only thing propping up our spiritual lives, then we have some growing to do. And maybe isolation has revealed that. Have we discovered that we only read our Bibles when we know we have to teach a class? Has isolation revealed that our prayer lives have, have been diminished because we haven't had the same level of accountability? Have we stopped communicating with each other out of sight, out of mind, or our habits in a time of isolated solitude? Listen, they aren't the exception. If those things have fallen off in this time of solitude... That's not the exception. Folks, I don't want to say it too, too harshly, but that's the real you. That's the real me. Have we drifted back into these certain sins because of the extra time alone at home? 
because there's not as much accountability. You cannot assume that the last seven weeks are the exception. Isolation reveals who we really are. Your true, real self has been exposed. And you can tell Joseph's priority was being right before God because God watched him and he lived every moment according to that. Even by himself, he remained faithful to God when no one was watching. If you ask yourself, who am I? If you lift up, hold up the mirror and you say, who am I? It's likely been answered the last two months. Because the real you shows up when you're in isolation. Solitude is like a bright light and a clean mirror. You know, those, those bright lights um, in, in front of a mirror that they have it, you know, certain, in front of certain mirrors, maybe for a makeup mirror or something like that, it really shines. So you can see everything. That's solitude right now, folks. It's, bright, it's a bright light and a clean mirror. The last two months have revealed to us who we truly are. I don't mean to tear you down and make you feel bad about yourself. You're saying, man, we just need some encouragement. Well, let me end with some encouragement here. Because there's a book in the Bible, James 1. And let me just read these verses to you because the great thing about this is, see, when we're looking in the mirror, we're finding out who we truly are and we're discouraged by it. Saying, wow, I've really been exposed. But look what James 1 says. It says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But look, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So you know what? Yes, isolation may have revealed some things about you that you don't like. It's a bright light and a clean mirror. But as you've looked into the mirror and you maybe been a little bit discouraged, just know that there's another mirror that if you look into it, you find that God doesn't just beat us down, he gives us hope. And he says, but if any man will look into the mirror and continue therein and become a doer of the work, that man will be blessed in his deed. See, God doesn't send us these times of isolation to beat us down and step on us. He sends us isolation and solitude to reveal who we are so that we can change, so that we can be more like him. He wants us to be blessed in our deeds. So what is the mirror of isolation revealed about you? What have you learned about yourself the last seven weeks? Have you been closer to the Lord or have you let the spiritual things slip? Are you having a tough time right now being motivated to get back into it? And okay, maybe church will be starting in the next few weeks and I'm just not sure I'm ready. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's a revealer. Parents, what has isolation revealed to you about your children? You talk about a revealer. What has it revealed? Kids, how have you been at obeying your parents since you're at home more? 
the last seven weeks. It's a revealer. But it's not a revealer to take us down. It's a revealer to show us what needs to change. And God gives us hope because we have his book to do it. We've all had something to learn about ourselves in isolation. And in some ways, can I be very honest, in some ways I'm thankful for it. Because if we can learn and change, then this time could become beneficial. We could come through isolation having asked for God's help and grace to change us. And when it comes time to get back into community, who knows what God might do through this community, Eastside Baptist Church. The clearest answer to who am I has come the last seven weeks, but the clearest answer on how to change is found in God's word, and it's possible. Next week, I want to continue some of these thoughts from Joseph's life and and see what kind of blessings God brought about because who he was supposed to be or he was who he was supposed to be in isolation. Because right now, it's tough. Solitude is tough. But if it will reveal who we are and we'll respond correctly according to God's word, he might turn this into a season of greater blessing than you've ever had your whole life. Because everything else was stripped away. Your community was gone. It was just you and God. And you found out who you truly, truly were. Maybe it's time to be that honest with ourselves. Pick up a mirror and ask, who am I? Who who am I according to what's been revealed the last seven weeks of my life? Because that's the most accurate picture you'll ever have of who you truly are in isolation solitude when nobody has been watching we want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com